Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker, and today we're talking with Chicago crooner Andrew Saw. Andrew's going to talk about how he developed a massive show, including 16 different music videos and many of Chicago's best live performers for the Pritzker Pavilion in Millennium Park, located in downtown Chicago. He's also going to share his best advice for performers who are trying to find their voice. All of this and more on today's Music Therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker and I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a show where I dive deep into the psyche of musicians. We talk about music, the creative process, music careers, mental health, the music business, touring, recording, balancing life and music, and anything else me and my guests want to talk about. If you want to learn more about music therapy and see upcoming guests and events, please visit musictherapypodcast.com. And if you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps us reach more listeners. I also want to mention that uh, me and my band are going to be performing a live show at the Empty Bottle on Tuesday. Let's see, Tuesday, October 12th. We're playing all new songs. These are all songs I wrote during the pandemic, and we've been working them out together. Uh, They're sounding really beautiful, and I hope you come out and join us for that show. The other acts that night are Will Orchard, Many Places, and Esther, and they are all really, really good. So please come out and join us. We're also the following night on October 13th uh, doing our next group session with Chicago band Izzy True, and that's at Cafe Mustache. So visit musictherapypodcast.com to learn about all of those events and, uh, and more. Today on Music Therapy, I'm talking with Andrew Saw, who's also known as Lonesome Andrew. Actor and vocalist Andrew Saw has earned the title of Chicago's premier queer country crooner. Saw's career has always been rooted in songwriting that highlights his easy and elegant voice, but when he met mentor and pioneer Patrick Hagarty of Lavender Country, Lonesome Andrew was born. Diving headfirst into the catalogs of Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison, and other classic songwriters that defined his childhood, Saw easily slipped into this new but familiar persona. It wasn't long before all of Chicago was seeking out his voice. Lonesome Andrew quickly became the star of the Cosmic Country Showcase, an instant smash hit camp country review based out of The Hideout, a bar that has fostered many golden voices for decades. Audiences and fellow artists alike reveled in Saw's intragenerational appeal that, while timeless, is rooted in a definitively young queer perspective. We're going to talk to Andrew and hear some of his music in just a moment, but first here's one of my songs. This is The Waves by Jessica Risker. I used to settle for my better, better unknown. But still I walk on the sugar roll, this better path alone. Oh 
Okay, that was my song, The Waves. And now here's my conversation with Andrew Saw. Oh, hi, there you are. Hi, sorry. I was just running from Bingo? the hideout. I was calling Bingo at the hideout. I saw that. I got a, I got a pick of you calling numbers. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. How are you? I'm good. Are you at the hideout right now? No, I booked it home and I just ran in the door, so I'm here. <laughs> How did bingo go? Oh, you know, it was fun. I've never done that before. It was good to have Liam with me because um, they kept asking us to go faster. So how, let me, let, okay, let's start it off. So I, I start every one of these the same. Would you describe for us what a typical week in your life looks like these days? Give us a picture. Yeah. Um, the last few weeks have been a mixture of keeping things um, moving smoothly at home, like laundry, breakfast, <laughs> lunch and dinner and the like mixed with shooting music video after music video and then making notes on edits of said music videos and so forth it's that's what it's been for the last i would say month or so but it's not usually so exciting and glamorous more it does sound, it does sound glamorous yeah the laundry is is probably closer to the truth <laughs> Have you enjoyed the video making process? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's um, like any job, there's parts of it that, um, that give you stress or anxiety or, or for me, a lot of the times it's the moments that things don't go as I planned them to uh -huh. that give me a lot of that stress and anxiety, but but for the most part, I would say yes. It's very exciting, fun work. So these videos, are these for your music? Are you collaborating with others? What videos have you been making? Well, lately it's been kind of both. Um, I'm working on this giant film project that's um, a collection of music videos that are strung together to tell a story of which I am the lead of four out of 16 uh -huh. and the rest, the other 12 are led by other Chicago musicians. But, uh, but yeah, it's a covers project. It's loosely based on Alice in Wonderland. Uh -huh. And so anyway, it's a dream story. It's a, it's a dream that's uh, infused with marijuana and, other drugs, but uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I am the lead sometimes, I am the support sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm working with a lot of different directors. So yeah, it is, it's, um, it's definitely collaborative. There's that, that's a very good word for it. So you're making 16 videos? That's what you've been working on? 
Yeah, so starting at the beginning of June, we started shooting these videos. Okay, that's a lot. We just finished last month. Oh, yeah. Include So my buddy Liam Kazar, mm -hmm. he just came out with a music video yesterday that we shot. Yeah, I watched that. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. We shot that last week. Uh-huh. And it was edited and put together ready for release yesterday. But including that music video, I shot 15 music videos in eight weeks, which feels really crazy. Have you have you done anything similar to that before? That's no. a lot of shooting and conceptualizing and editing. Never. How did it, so? Okay, I, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, which is sometimes it can feel stressful when it doesn't go as you planned. So, how much of all sixteen of these videos did you visualize? How much? went differently? That's a good question. Let's see, percentage-wise, I would say the majority, maybe 75% went as planned. Uh -huh. And the other 25%, I, I had to let the folks in charge in the moment leading that video take control of. Uh -huh. But yeah, we've been I've been dreaming up this project since July of last year. Uh-huh. So it's been, it's been growing in my brain since then. So I would say, you know, conceptualizing took a good seven months. Uh-huh. Um, and with my good friend, Jesse Young, who is the director of the whole project, starting in about February, we really hit the ground running, really honing in on what each video was and what we were trying to say with each and the whole. So there was a lot of work that went in before we started actually filming. But yeah, the things that I'm talking about where, you know, we have to make a a change in the moment are logistical things, you know, like like the weather wasn't right for that yeah. outdoor shoot. Or, or, for example, there was one that Liam and I were shooting. We were supposed to shoot in a junkyard. Yeah. And um, every time we had been there to scope out this junkyard, it's, it's actually like a steel mill yard over by where the hideout's at. Yeah, okay. Um, that's abandoned, or so we thought. Um, but of course, the day we go to shoot, there's a bunch of guys in there working and doing whatever. So yeah, you, you just have to, we had to get creative and work around. And, and then there were other things where the director said, oh, look at this, look at this, you know, element that, that has presented itself to us in the moment. Should we capture that? Uh -huh. And the answer is always yes, you know. When you, so I think you're primarily known as a singer, but video work is a whole different art form. Obviously, they go well together. Were you conceptualizing the storylines of the videos or the, the through lines of the 16 videos? Were you, how much were you visualizing what they would look and feel? feel like as far as the aesthetic what what was your role what was the director's how I'm interested in all the different 
creativity you're bringing to everything you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm so new to video work. I, my background is in theater and voice. Mm-hmm. So when I approached Jesse to direct it, I had no treatment of the story put together. And he said, okay, well, go and do that. Write it all out. And that was daunting to, to take these things that were just visuals in my head and uh-huh. put them down as a story, right? So to answer your question, the preliminary ideas were something that I jotted down in a Google Doc. I tried to be as, as um, detailed and yet vague as possible because I did want each of the directors to, to have their way with it, to really inject their own perspective and aesthetic and style into mm-hmm. each video. So ultimately, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it, is, it was very collaborative though, right? Because like I would write, okay, and then I traveled through many rooms, large rooms, and my bathrobe gets longer and longer through the process of the video. But, you know, the designers who designed the bathrobes, they had their own visual idea. Uh-huh. The director chose what the rooms looked like and, and the director of photography chose what we captured of uh-huh. each room, you know. So it, I, what I, the way that I like to put it is that I planted the seeds and that yes. everyone else did the watering. And the clipping. Yeah, that's great. Were there any fights? Any creative conflict? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I had a lot of help perfecting the story. Jesse helped me a lot, Jesse Young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had his friend who joined us, Eric Hoff, who's an excellent storyteller out of L.A., and so the three of us really put together the final form of this, the treatment, the script. Uh-huh. But when it came to the actual shooting of each, I deferred to the director. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that was Jesse. It's just like, I defer to you because I have so many other things to be thinking about right now. Yeah. I have to be acting in this. I have to make sure my hair looks great. My makeup looks fine. You know what I mean? Like, there were so many moments where it wasn't worth a fight. So you are comfortable letting go of control? I have learned to be comfortable <laughs> letting go of control, yeah. Was that an old lesson or was that through this experience? You know, I am definitely the guy who has a minor freak out when things don't go as planned. Yeah. But I planned this six-course meal for our trip to the beach. What are you telling me that you just want to buy subs from Subway or whatever? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that sort of a thing. So to answer your question, it's definitely something I've learned over time. It's not something that came easy. Is this the project that you are going to be showing at Millennium Park? Yeah. So this, so the Millennium Park show, which is on August 16th, We're going to start the evening with like a 45-minute set, live set, uh-huh. featuring the musicians and singers who will be a part of the film. 
and we'll be performing other material uh-huh. um, from the film. And then we're going to show the film at seven o'clock. So that mm-hmm. starts at six and then the film will premiere at seven o'clock. And yeah, it should be, I think it's only, well, it's not totally put together yet. So I'm thinking an hour and 20, but yeah, to answer your question, Millennium Park. That's amazing. Yeah, this has been made possible through Civil, the Chicago Independent Venues League. Uh-huh. So um, originally this was a project that we were supposed to do at the hideout, through the hideout uh-huh. in the spring. But funding this, as I'm sure you can imagine, this has been a very expensive project. Yeah. And the hideout was dedicated to helping us raise the funds to make it possible. And when, when we weren't able to raise the funds through the hideout's help, Katie Tutton from the hideout suggested that we ask Civil if we can collaborate on one of their Millennium Park shows that they uh-huh. were gifted from, the, from DCASE, the Department of Cultural Affairs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I actually owe a lot of thanks to the hideout and Katie Tutton and San Morimoto for getting this moving. Are you Looking nervous? Forward. I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. I'm not terrified of the premiere of the film, but I, I'm, you know, that's a big stage. The Pritzker Pavilion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it'd be great. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a lot of amazing musicians with me. Yeah. To, to kind of go back to what you were saying before, like, I think what I've realized through these film projects is just how important collaboration is to me. I tried for so long to do it all on my own. And while that can be rewarding, there's nothing like working with other people. First of all, when you say I was doing things so much on my own. What what are you referring to there? What? Well, I used to write all of my own music. Mm-hmm. And I tried for a while playing piano and ukulele to, to support what I've written. Uh-huh. But you know, it, based on my skills, it could only be, it could only, I could only see it so far in its actualization. Right. Then I got a band and I gave them the, the chord charts and the lyric sheets and whatever and gave over control to them to, mm-hmm. to build an arrangement that, you know, bring themselves to what I've created. And then, then my music blossomed into something I could have never made on my yeah. own. Yeah. From there, I've even gone on to collaborating with my buddy Liam, um, writing together, Uh not being the singular voice when it comes to the writing. And that has made my art, the songs better, broader. I am greater with others. I am better with others. It took me a long time. And you know what? 
Andrew in Another Land is kind of about that. But I don't want to give too much away. All that being said, what are the pros for working by yourself? Well, right, the seeds happen by myself, typically. Uh-huh. You know, I guess, well, when I practice, I have to be alone. Uh-huh. You know, I can't have anyone around. I can't have anyone in the apartment when I'm writing. And I think that's the stillness that I crave in that way, the, the quiet. Um, but your question was... What are the pros? Were there any... Is there anything, you know, when you were trying to do things that was more, I'm going to do this by myself, is there anything about that that you miss or anything that you find challenging working with other people, even though you have shifted more to embracing that? I don't know. I don't think so. Honestly, I feel like I, I feel so much less pressure. Uh-huh. You know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to get it right, to get it right the first time. I mean, I guess the only pro that I can, that I can think of is, is that nothing will muddy my mind. Nothing invades my thought. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a, I'm not a, I guess you could say I'm like a people pleaser. If someone's around, I want to make sure that they're okay. With other people gone, I can focus on myself yeah. and making sure that I'm okay. Yeah. You don't have to worry about them. You can just do your thing. Right. You, you know, have many performances where you sing cover songs, and then you're also talking about doing your own writing. I'm curious, you know, are you more interested in one avenue than the other, more attached to one way? Do you like being able to do both? How do you feel about both of those pursuits? Well, when I was a kid, my mom owned a karaoke company. Uh-huh. And um, her and her husband owned a karaoke company called Karaoke Kids. And so... From a very young age, I've sang, I've sang cover songs. Uh-huh. Um, and as you know about karaoke, in the style of this other person. Yeah. So I'm very comfortable doing that. Uh-huh. It wasn't until I moved to Chicago about 10 years ago that I started writing or, or getting more courageous about writing. And it goes in waves, my interest in writing. It generally, ha- I, I write when I feel like I've got something to say. And um, the covers have actually come back in full swing because of the Cosmic Country Showcase. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we do at the Cosmic Country Showcase. We do covers. But I see a value in, in both for me. Because the covers allow people to pinpoint in their mind where I fit for them. What do you mean? Well, for example, I do Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. Uh-huh. So um, for them, they can say, oh, he's kind of like, he kind of does like the Chris Isaac thing. Yeah. He's kind of like Chris Isaac. So then they have a reference for me in their mind. Yeah. 
whereas if I were to come, when I come out and sing my originals, um, it's not as immediate, that placement. Mm -hmm. so, so there's that about the covers. Um, Does it feel like a good thing for people to be able to place you? Do you want that? Sure. I mean, I don't see it as a, I don't see it as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think if you can connect with me on, in one way or another, then I've succeeded. Mm -hmm. okay. You know, yeah. I, I have had people tell me in the past, oh, be careful, be careful. You don't get into the, the covers culture. Be careful because if you steer too far away from your own writing, then you're just going to be stuck in the cover cycle. Uh-huh. But that was their own. That was someone trying to put on me what they struggle with in themselves. You know? So, yeah. So when you think about your music, looking forward, how would you like it to shape? moving forward what would you like to be doing or working towards i my main objective when performing is to facilitate feeling mm -hmm. so that would also be true for recorded music as well whether i've written it or i am interpreting something someone else has written as long as I have succeeded in giving you a space where you feel comfortable to feel, I've succeeded in my mind. Okay. Um, so that's like my main objective. I think that I have other objectives like, you know, I've been writing country music or my iteration, my, my take on country music as a means to help heal and that objective is, is really to give men, predominantly, a safe space to cry. When you say the word heal, are you comfortable sharing what you're referring to? Um, yeah. You know, I think that our culture as Americans, especially, we put shame on crying when mm -hmm. it comes... I mean, I, mean I, I would say across genders. Um, but, but specifically men, you know, men shouldn't feel is kind of the vibe. Country music, I, I should say, though, has always been a place for men to feel. If you go back to even Hank Williams, I'm mm -hmm. so lonesome I could cry, which is one of my favorites. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying not to talk too grand about it, but I, I really just want people to feel safe to feel and specifically men and gay men, especially gay men, because that's, kind of, that's the place where I write from. That's the, my perspective. That's the perspective that I, that I have. You, I'm interested in your history and how you got connected with country music. You have this really interesting fact about your family where you had a karaoke business in your life and how, what is the connection for you with um, that genre of music, with country music? There's a couple of ins. 
my dad loved Roy Orbison, who I, I know is like adjacent to country, but I always felt like he was country. There were two tapes that were close to my heart growing up as a kid. My dad had a Roy Orbison greatest hits tape that we would listen to in his Ford F-150. Where are you from? From California. I'm from the Bay Area. Okay. And my mom loved modern country at the time. Uh-huh. Reba McIntyre was the person that she aligned herself with. Are they from the Bay Area? And they are from the Bay Area. Okay. Yeah. And then my father's parents, my grandfather's especially, loved Patsy Cline. Uh-huh. So the other tape was Patsy Cline in my grandfather's Lincoln Town Car. And I just remember falling head over heels for both of them, Roy and Patsy. Uh And what's interesting about them is that they're like, they're not like your stereotypical country music. They're both kind of country adjacent. Yeah. Um, But but Reba, (laughs) but Reba is country. Yeah. And yeah, my mom, my parents split it when I was four. And my mom and Reba kind of blended in my mind. Like, this might be a little too personal, but when my mom wasn't there, there was Reba. Uh So Reba was always a very comforting voice for me. That was also the first time that I, my parents were different. My dad would always say, do you know who this is? You know who this is singing, right, Andrew? you know, always testing me with the radio. But my mom would always be like, do you know all the words to this? You remember the words? Because, you know, she does karaoke and it was uh-huh. important to know the words. Um, we were a very musical household. My mom is a, an amazing singer and my dad is a great guitarist and that's kind of how they fell in love. But, but yeah, to answer your question on country music, it was just always there. You know, it was always in my ears as a kid. Yeah, I mean, it's, it makes me wonder, and I'm not thinking one way or the other, but it feels like these were such powerful influences to you growing up and where you are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was, when I was a teenager, I started falling in love with the crooners, like Frank Sinatra and um, Nat King Cole and Tony Bennett and Ella Fitzgerald and Judy Garland. My God, Judy Garland was a huge uh, inspiration for me. But yeah, they somehow also blend with the Patsy Cline and Roy Orbison, Hank. I found out that I was really inspired by music that told stories. And country Uh music is a storytelling genre, you know? When you're talking, and some of the reason I asked you about where you're from, I'm from a very small town in Missouri. My grandparents grew up playing country music. That's just what they did as a family. Uh, But I grew up in a small town where that was, I was a little more rock and roll, but most of my friends, they listen to country music. And uh, I can relate to some of what you're saying. Have you ever seen the movie A Perfect World? No. You should watch that movie. It's got a great soundtrack. It's with Kevin Costner. Wait, it has who? Kevin Costner. Oh, okay, Kevin. It's a good movie. Anyway, it's got a great soundtrack. Check it out. I love the soundtrack. I uh, 
there's some great songs and I think that you will like it too. A Perfect World, I will check it out. When was it made, Do you, in the 90s? 1993, I was looking it up before we... Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. There's this uh, other, now that we're talking about movies, because, you know, I mean, I watched a lot of movies to prep for this film project. Uh-huh. I, like, did a lot of homework. There is this movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, not Joaquin Phoenix, his brother, River. River? Um, about these young people in Nashville trying to make a name for themselves. A young Julia Roberts is in it, and it's wild. And it's called The Thing Called Love. Oh, I don't, yeah, I kind of remember that. It's um really special. Good soundtrack, too. Yeah, okay. These young that. kids trying to make it in as songwriters in Nashville in the 90s. It's, okay, let's see here. I wrote down some notes. So, oh, here's something. You had filled out a form in advance of our, our meeting, and one of the things that you had mentioned we could talk about uh, was self-confidence. What were you thinking about there? Uh, I actually relate, I've got a lot to say about self-confidence, but I relate that to collaboration. Uh-huh. I, I don't like to get out there on my own. I, I lack confidence when I'm out there on my own. It's really hard to muster it up. But when I have people there with me, it it's easy. It is like play. Uh-huh. But I, I, I certainly struggle with self-confidence. People often are surprised by that. Um, but I, I smoke a lot of weed. Uh-huh. And that only exasperates that problem. Um, and yet I smoke more weed in order to fix it, to like overcome it. And that never ever works. <laughs> Which is why I think tequila sunrise is a bunch of shit. <laughs> Cause uh, you know, that kind of confidence is fleeting and it's false. And yeah, when I was younger, I used to try and take a, shot or a hit before I went out on stage and uh-huh. that never worked in my favor. Are you referring to confidence just in the realm of performing or in other areas of your life too? I was speaking specifically in performing. Yeah, in other avenues of my life. It's funny, you know, going back to what you were saying about covers versus originals. Uh-huh. I do struggle with confidence surrounding that. Like, um, I recognize that there's judgment surrounding, you know, are you a cover artist or are you a writer? Are you a singer songwriter? For a long time, I thought I had to write. That was the way that people would, you know, see me and respect me for what I do. Mm-hmm. But once again, I, I, I ultimately I think it's one of those things where it's about them and it's not about me, whatever that is. So that sounds like something that somebody said to you that really kind of hit you for a while. Several people said to me that have hit me that has hit me for 
a yeah. long while, but um, yeah. You know, I had to overcome this thought that I had to be the source of it all. Like, what is that worth other than an ego trip? D- does that make sense, what I'm saying? Like, yeah. um, I mean, and good, good for you. If you can be the source of it all, and the person who's playing the instrument and singing and overdubbing all the harmonies and, you know, that's awesome. Great for you. But I don't know. We're in this, we've been in this place as a society when it comes to singers and popular music where like, you've got to be the person who's writing it to be like, I don't know. There's, you know, the music that I've fallen in love with throughout my youth it's people who are singing songs that were written by other people maybe 20 years before. You know what I mean? There's like, anyway, I had to overcome. I've had to overcome. I continue to overcome that anxiety. Well, that's also kind of another tradition of country or folk music. It's people doing other people's songs and passing them around. Absolutely. I really admire that because you do have to have a really strong song to to be passed around. And for other people to feel it and put their own spin on it. But it's very much in the tradition, I think, of that kind of music as well. Yeah. I just had to... You're you're absolutely right. I work at the Old Town School of Folk Music at the front desk. So I'm, you know, we pass around songs. Uh Um, And it's beautiful to see people take a turn at a song. You Uh know, take their turn at a song. But yeah, like I grew up in theater too, musical theater. That's mm-hmm. what I went to school for. And um, there's even like a culture that's snobby about the key that you sing a song in. Really? Yeah, it's bizarre. But there's there's like a snobbery about the original key. Like, are you even singing? Oh. Well, that's not in the original key. The original key is, the, and it's like, what the? I am singing it in my key. Yeah. This key fits me. Anyway, I've been around snobs all my life. There's a lot of snobs in the music industry, in in the music world as well. There's a lot of fragile egos. That must be it, right? Which makes for, yeah, I think. I think. So frustrating. Like, what are you here for? Never mind. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk. Okay, okay, walk. Okay, here's a question. Here's a question. Do you have a favorite cover do you have one that you just are so happy and thrilled to sing when you get the chance or try to sing it do i have a favorite cover so my favorite covers are probably the ones that are the oldest in my memory you know (laughs) when i was a kid my favorite cover was to sing a whole new world with my mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then when i was a teenager my favorite cover was the Way You Look Tonight by Frank Sinatra. I loved yeah. singing that song because it was so sweet and tender. But my favorite cover that I've been singing lately is Patsy Cline's Crazy because I was terrified of the song for so that's, long. That's a tough song, yeah. I thought, I can't touch that one. That one's untouchable, right? But when I started singing it, people really connected with it you know Mm -hmm. it's one of those moments that i'm telling you like i can align with a certain spot in your brain a memory that i can trigger that 
and that is rewarding in a different way. Yeah. Than like creating a new memory with a song that I've written. Um, but to answer your question, it's definitely Patsy Cline's Crazy. And before that, it was Patsy Cline's She's Got You. Do you know that one? I don't know if I'm familiar with that one. I've got your picture. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so good. So, love that song. You know, I'm I'm trying to think about how to say this without being totally cheesy. But, I, you know, I feel like everybody's just has to blossom into what... You're only you're only you can do the things you do the best and you have to follow that. You're not gonna be able to do what somebody else does or think thinks is good to do. And it feels like to me that you are very much finding this is where you thrive. All the things that you're doing, you know, not not just cover songs, but the videos and you know, there's a lot of creativity here that's going on. You know, it took it's taken a long time to find how to use well first of all what my strengths are uh-huh. and then how to use them yeah i just recently realized that i'm a producer i just recently realized that i'm a like that i can write a long form story yeah so thank you for saying that is there anything else that you you know wanted to explore or share with people? Well, I do want to plug that Liam uh, Kazar is uh, Mm -hmm. debuting his album this weekend, and I'll be there singing with him Uh at the Sleeping Village on the 6th. What day of the week is that? that Friday. Friday? Okay. And um, I should also mention that there are, there is a collection of my covers with the Cosmic Country Showcase Band on Spotify that you can listen to. Uh-huh. But do I have any maybe words of wisdom uh, or something to dispel, to share? It is so not worth it to do something because you think other people want you to. It has never been worth it for me. And a Again, as cheesy as it sounds, please, please follow your instincts, your heart, your inspirations. That will be rewarding. Follow through with them and people will recognize that and you will feel so great about connecting with people there. So much better than than trying to connect where they want you to and missing. I think that's great. I think that's a great place to to end on. Good, because I've got dinner waiting in the other room. (laughs) I want to keep you from that. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing. And I'm I'm so excited for you for Millennium Park. Um, I'm I'm sure it's going to go great. But you know, good luck with the whole night. And, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jessica. And thank you for what you do. Um, it's healing. i
was Wicked Games as performed by Andrew Saw. I want to thank Andrew for his time today and all his thoughts. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please subscribe to the show. Give us a review. Share it with your friends if you like the show. Visit musictherapypodcast.com for more episodes, show notes, transcripts, and events. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Hope you guys are doing well and see you next week.